uh, Kelberg against Crawford is it's not it's not a fight, is it really? I mean, um, Crawford is one of the pound for pound top fighters in the world right now, and um, Kelberg is not. You know, you can see in my eyes know. that this is going to be our toughest fight. <laughs> your right? eyes? You know. Both of your eyes is messed up. How am I seeing your eyes and well, you see know. if Come anything on, let's be serious. Let's be serious. You <laughs> know. On, you know. Let's I don't be serious. Know. You know. Well, well, you, will. Well, you will. You better be blinded. You better be more than ready, Dominique. You better be more than ready, sir. Listen to me again. You better be more than ready for me. Because I am the bad. I can feel you right now. I can feel your heart right now. I feel you right now. I can feel your heartbeat, And it should be that way. Because you ain't never seen death in his face. You ain't never seen him kill in person, in face. Now you do. And you gonna understand speak the way I speak. Why the things I say? You gonna understand where I came from. You gonna feel every bit of me. I promise you that. This is not a game. This is where you've been introduced in the heavyweight division, Dominique. It start with me, and I'm gonna prove it to you. Well, I promise you that. Because the scheme that you tried to pull, I ain't here gonna fly. I'm gonna show you street style. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. Yes, and we're back again. Welcome back to the number one podcast of the sport where you're really gonna have to pay £27 to watch Tyson Fury versus Dillian White. £27. Let that sink in for a sec. But we'll come back to that later. Let, let's let's focus on things that are probably more interesting than that right now. Let's just kind of zero in on some of the things I haven't touched on since the last episode. So this one's going to be one of those cognac sessions. It's been it's been that sort of evening. I needed something to to help me get through the England game. Yeah, exactly. We went from the high of Wales getting smoked by Iran to then. Watching Gareth Southgate be Gareth Southgate. Not a football expert at all, but I do know that if I don't see an England player in the green bit on my screen, it's somewhat of a concern. I'm like, where the hell have our 11 players gone if not one person can stand between the centre circle and the penalty box and say, give me the ball and I'll give it to someone? And the reason I say that, I know this is a boxing podcast, but I always draw these parallels. We have a great ability in this country to produce very workmanlike footballers. Yeah? And we understand what to do with workmanlike footballers. Like we know what to do with workmanlike boxers. The minute you have someone who can do the impossible, we do everything we can to make sure they never do the impossible. Whether you're a Grealish fan or not, Grealish can play this game. And he can do things that other people can't. Foden can do things that other players who qualify for England can't do. Those are the only two players who can do that. Everyone else is kind of workman. Like as much as I love Saka, Saka is one of those guys, eight out of 10, never screws up his fundamentals. Mason Mount never screws up his fundamentals. Declan Rice never screws up his fundamentals. And that's okay. If you just want to get out the group stages, that's fine. Same with John Stones. We don't have game changers and we don't have game breakers. Sterling comes close, but he's not there. It's Grealish and Foden. We don't play them. In the same way in boxing, Dennis McCann never boxed for an Olympic title. Sonny Edwards never boxed for an Olympic title. 
Like that beggar's belief now. <laughs> Considering the talents that these guys are, that beggar's belief. Adam Azim, I don't think, was asked to participate in the GB squad. They weren't earmarking Adam Azim for the Olympics. Pat McCormack wasn't one of the first people signed, even though he had a silver, he had a silver medal just like Ben Whitaker did. Wasn't one of the first people to sign. Why? Because we don't know what to do with those guys that do it a little bit differently. And that's what kills our sport because there are a lot of kids who could theoretically rewrite the rules of boxing. That could move British boxing in a different direction that would make us better and stronger. But like I said, you've got... I want to touch on this later, but you've got coaches who learned to box yesterday. And because they learned to box yesterday, they have no idea what good looks like. So they just hammer all the flair and all the skill, all the intelligence, all the innovation out of you. And if you don't conform, they just say, get out. And then they tell everyone, well, no one's bigger than the club. That's the sort of nonsense they tell you. And it does no good. Like, we don't get better as a country at football. We don't get better as a country at boxing because we never challenge conventional wisdom. We've had 20-something years of academies. Generation after generation, Joe Cole, Jack Wilshire, generation after generation, we play the same bullshit football as we've always done. The same bullshit tournament football we have always done. We play the and same with boxing. We do the same bullshit boxing every time because that's what the numpties and the tracksuits are comfortable with. And I wish we'd move past that. But I think that this World Cup will just reinforce that we have no idea how to how to color outside the lines. I mean, we we're rule followers. Get the ball, pass it, take no risks at all. Have no courage, because if you have courage, like Jack Grealish, you just don't play. <laughs> don't forget how long Southgate made him wait. But let's 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 bring it back to the to the domain of the hardcores, right? Because I want to talk about Lawrence Okoli. Because this has been in my mind for a while and I haven't really had a chance to speak on it. But I think it's a really interesting situation and I feel differently depending on what day it is and who I've heard speak. So, first and foremost, if Eddie Hearn's going to go in the public domain and say Lawrence has cost him money, why do you need one more fight from him? If Lawrence has cost you money and he doesn't sell a ticket, fine. He's not going to sell a ticket in one fight. He's not going to make you your money back in one fight. So what do you need Lawrence Okoli for? Why not let him go? What's the expression? Your first loss is the cheapest. Let Lawrence go. Now, that makes sense, right? If you believe what he told his pal Coogan, the guy that does the... (laughs) If you've ever seen the IFL channel, the picture they've got, everyone else, like Umar and everyone else is in a t-shirt. Coogan Cassius is in a vest, as if he's from Sons of Anarchy. And I just look at that and I go, wow. Some people really have to tell the world they're tough guys, don't they? Because maybe deep down they don't believe it. But that's a side issue. So he does the interview with Coogan and he slaughters Lawrence. And you can see it's, it's jilted girlfriend behavior. And I've heard people in the comments, you know, the people who think they know about boxing because they're 95 years old and whatever, and they've seen it all. They don't really know and they don't understand because they say things that don't make any sense. 
if your response to the Okoli situation is he made you a world champion, you owe him. Never ask your boss for a pay rise. Never move jobs for more money. Because all Lawrence is doing is saying, the money I got, the opportunities I got, are less than what I deserved. That's what he's saying. When Eddie Hearn tells you he got Lawrence Okoli an easy title shot, no. He got Lawrence Okoli a cheap title shot. Because all the other people that Lawrence could have fought and was willing to fight were asking for ridiculous amounts of money. So if you were happy losing money on Lawrence, you'd have got guys like Lebedev in. You'd have got guys like Makabu and You'd have got all of these guys in. They never showed up. Why? You didn't want to spend the money. Because you never believed in Lawrence. That's why your last tweet about Lawrence Okoli is from July 2019, Eddie Hearn. You've never believed in Lawrence. And you wanted rid of Lawrence. If Lawrence wasn't 258, you'd have got rid of him. And that's a big problem for me. And here's why. I remember I'd speak to Lawrence in the early part of his career. And he'd always tell me what Eddie had promised him. And I'm not a guy to say, he doesn't have to lie to me. He doesn't have to make stuff up to me. I've known him since the amateurs. We have honest conversations. And I remember I'd always say to Lawrence, the only things that are real from guys like Eddie Hearn are the things that they send in writing. Because you can always bring those up later. If they just tell you stuff, it's not real. When it's in writing, when it's in your hand, it's real. Because he was telling me all these things that were promised to him. So I know what was promised to him. Probably best I don't mention. But based on what Hearn told Okoli, Okoli should be in a completely different position now. We should be talking about Lawrence Okoli now moving up to heavyweight. That's exactly what we should be talking about. So a lot of this Okoli thing really turns on, is the contract still valid or not? Now, I don't know if there's a sunset clause in the contract that says if you don't offer Lawrence a fight in time period X, he can walk away. That might be what's in the contract. I have no idea. I don't believe Eddie would be that stupid. There may be a clause that says, look, the last fight is contingent on you signing an additional three fight deal, which he shouldn't have to do because he's not happy. Maybe he's just saying, look, I'll have the last fight, but I just want to be able to walk away. But in Lawrence's head, that last fight should be a unification fight. That's the argument here. And Eddie's like, I'm not paying the money. Lawrence's like, no, no, you said I could have the unification fight and move up to heavyweight. I'd have stayed on this platform if you'd given me that. He's like, I'm going to go and get that elsewhere now. And so you've got this impasse. And the thing with these impasses, and we learned this with Andre Ward. Surely we learned this with Andre Ward, right? You can lose two, three years of your career, prime years of your career, messing about with lawyers. Because if I've got enough money, I'm going to say to my lawyers, delay the process. I want this to take at least four years and they'll find a way to do it. So if I was advising Lawrence, I'm not advising Lawrence, but if Lawrence were to ring me tomorrow and say, what should I do? My answer would be very simple. I'd ring Eddie Hearn and I'd say, we've got one fight left. What are the names in the frame for that fight? And I'd pick one. I'd pick the one that was best for me 
And I say, that's the fight. If I've got Makabu, cool. If I've got Bradis, cool. If I've got the Australian guy, Opetia, cool. Whoever I've got, I'll take. And I'm Lawrence, I'm like, there's no fight after this. There's no five fight deal. There's no nothing. After this fight, we're done. And I'd do that. And I'd look to wrap that up by March. Don't blow the best years of your life. You know, boxing's it's a sport that's driven so much by ego. But I say to people, don't let your ego get in the way of what's best for business. And what's best for business is Lawrence to be on Sky or BT or wherever he ends up. Because it may not be Sky. Lawrence will be a valuable commodity as a heavyweight. Because remember, we're entering that period of heavyweight flux. Fury, Joshua, Wilder, all getting older. Joyce, not getting any younger. Dillian, miles on the clock. It's time for that new breed to come through. If I'm Ben Shalom, I'm looking at trying to get Richard a world title shot and move him up as quickly as I can. Same with Lawrence. Let me get these two big lumps into the heavyweight division and see what they can do. Because Derek's getting on a bit. Parker, he may not be getting on, but the miles are catching up. It's time for a new guard. And so if I'm Lawrence, I'm not trying to wait another year to be part of that. So I hope he does the right thing and says, let me just do what i got to do with Matchroom and move on. Because you never know, you may need to come back. That's the intelligent thing to do. Now, I think his whole setup there is a, it's a disaster, right? Because... You've got Hearn who's always going to back Joshua over you. You've got 258 who are always going to back Joshua over you. But deep down, Lawrence knows he can fight and beat Anthony Joshua. When, when Lawrence is, whatever he's doing around Joshua, you know he's sizing him up going, I reckon I can get at this guy. He's also sat there going, if Richard Riakpour is my biggest domestic rival, why is, why is AJ trading with him? Why has AJ got him in camp? What's he saying to Richard about me in camp? Why aren't 258 fighting for me? It should be 258 that inform us on the contractual position of Lawrence O'Coli. Why have they not come out and said? So everywhere Lawrence goes, all the people who are supposed to be on his side have other agendas. They have other people they need to please. Lawrence is on his own on this one. So when Hearn says people are whispering in his ear, no, Lawrence is going for advice. Because he can't trust Hearn and he can't trust Josh, he can't trust any of those camps. So where do you go? Well, you can't trust your promoter and your manager. There's nowhere else to go. So my hope is that Lawrence sort of so rolls it back. You know, the rhetoric ramps down a bit. He gets whatever fight he has to get done, fulfill those contractual obligations. If there is no obligation because Eddie hasn't delivered in time, cool. But let's draw a line under this in the next three months and move on. Because I don't think Lawrence loses a cruiserweight to anybody. So let him go. But it sends a worrying message to boxers because you've got to think. Eddie was a guy that said, and I think I'm not, let me not quote word for word, but the message was, Boxers need to be doing more for themselves. They need to be on social media. They need to be thinking outside the box. Lawrence did a book. Lawrence launched a Coley Fit. Lawrence did a song. Whether you like those or not is irrelevant. The fact is he took the gamble. 
you know, he's he's active enough on social media. You see him at all the right events. He's there front and center. He did the commentary with Jake Paul the other day. I think it was a Mayweather card. Lawrence is in all the right places. He's doing more than many other boxers that Eddie showers love and affection on. Guys who left him and then came back and he showers more affection on them than he does Lawrence. So if I'm Lawrence, I'm like, damn right, I want another platform because I'm not loved in my own house. But overall, this is really unusual behavior for Matchroom. Matchroom generally don't, they don't go to court. Now, I think the last time they went to court was in the 90s. And then what happens is all of their dirty laundry gets aired out. And I think they realize it's very edifying and it just gives their enemies ammunition against them. So hopefully this doesn't get messy and it's not, you know, lawyers trying to make more money for themselves and everyone rise off into the sunset, whichever way this is resolved. But let's talk about another matchroom victim, you know, Natasha Jonas, who should, her and Joe have done the media rounds this week, which I think is the right thing to do. You know, they've got to deal with this guy, the biggest clown in boxing, the biggest, most self-absorbed, just thoroughly detestable human being in Steffi Ball. He's thoroughly horrible. He's... You can't call him an incel because I think he's got a family. But he thinks and behaves like an incel. He, he's a guy who made his career fighting. So you imagine that he's got a fighting heart and he's got self-esteem and the kind of confidence that means that, you know, he can behave as an adult, essentially. Yet he struggles to do that. You know, always with the the twisting of information, always having to bend reality and then having to insult people in the hope that that's what makes people want to fight. Like it's the damn playground. Just remember when Natasha Jonas wanted to right the wrong against Terry Harper, they were looking elsewhere and they were very disrespectful. So I don't understand what they thought would happen. Did they think that you could just buy Joe Gallagher and Natasha Jonas's principles? You can't. Joe's from a very serious area in Manchester. Like, stand up people. You know, you don't go back on your word. You don't go back on your values and your principles. Same with Natasha Jonas. Natasha's from a very serious family. There may have been the family that convinced Nathaniel Klein he's not welcome in Liverpool. Don't quote me on that, but I have a feeling that it was her family that said, hey, you know, you're... You're moving a bit crazy in Liverpool, man. Like, you might not want to be here anymore. Right? So the fact that they can come out and behave with the dignity they, they are, and in parallel, Steffi Ball has none, even though he's generally not respected amongst his peers, whereas those two are. Let's not forget, now, Natasha Jonas has rebuilt a career from rubble. After the Shelley Watts loss, you thought the amateur career is finished. And after she fought the Swiss killer, forgot what her name was, you thought, wow, I don't see her coming back from this. Yet she came back. She went to Matchroom and Hearn used her as a name that he could feed to the people he really cared about. And Natasha refused to bend and she refused to break. And she fought for everything she could, even though the judges were against her, the promoter was against her, everything was against her. And she fought. Never received justice. Until she moved to Sky. At Sky she's respected and she's loved and she's appreciated. And she conducts herself 
like an elder stateswoman of women's boxing, which she is. As one of the leaders of the sport, and she conducts herself so well across so many different disciplines. And she's put herself in a position by winning three world titles in a weight class where she can dictate what she does, where she does it, when she does it. Not Terry Harper, not, not, not Steffi Bull. Imagine being called Steffi Bull. It's Andrew Bullcroft, man. I mean, Andrew Bullcroft probably had glasses at school and probably had asthma and never did PE. That's who and what he is. And there's nothing wrong with having glasses, by the way. But he was just there in the corner, scared of his own shadow, found his voice with the boxing gym, but then realized he probably wasn't that good. But for the record, he was better than I was. So I'm not going to knock that. But what happens when you don't have that vehicle? You become who and what you really are. Yeah? The guy who never got girls, so threw peanuts at the girls in the hope that they'd like him because he was horrible. And here he is now, disrespecting Tasha Jonas for no reason. If he had kept his mouth shut, this fight probably would have been done. Yet he doesn't realize how toxic he is to the fabric of the sport. Oh well. What more can I say? I wish Tasha Jonas the best. I'd like to see her fight Clarissa Shields. Uh, let's have a big fight in the States. You can definitely build something around that now. I think Clarissa Shields is a legit star. And I think you can build around that. I think Natasha Jonas is a star. And I think those two in a fight, that's the sort of fight boxing needs. Not manufactured. Two people who've built it up. Two people who are there when they didn't know where the boxing would be the way it is now for women. Let those two go at it. You know, Terry Harper could worry about what to do with her pointless belt another time. But on the subject of Sky, Ben Shalom's really growing into these interviews because of, how do I, I'm trying to think of a way of putting it. I'm used to Eddie Hearn coming on and talking out of his backside. So I'm not really engaged when he talks. And in fact, I've stopped listening to the interviews now. I've given up hope that Coogan can ask a meaningful question. I've given up hope that Eddie Hearn will ever tell the truth. So I don't listen to them anymore. Unless Umar's there. If Umar's there, I'll give it five minutes because I know he'll ask some uncomfortable questions. But Ben Shalom gives you what you want. I want to know, is this fight happening? Is it not happening? What have you done to make the fight happening? What's blocking the fight from happening? Ben tells you that. No spin. No clowning around. Just good old-fashioned traditional boxing. Fans, this is where we're at. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. And I'm okay with that. You know, I thought in the beginning, he was very reluctant to, to get stuck in. I think he's getting more stuck in now. So I think that's good. I still think the Sky Machine need to be a bit more astute on who they sign. Um, the the Lerone Richards signing doesn't make sense to me. What are you going to do? You're going to turn him into an exciting fighter? Are you really going to turn him into the super middleweight Manny Pacquiao? No. So what have you got with him? You've got the British Demetrius Andrade. In fact, I'd probably just make that fight. Demetrius Andrade versus Lerone Richards. And, you know what I mean, be done with it. But if I was investing, I'd invest more in someone like Zach Chelly because Zach will bring fans to the, he'll bring fans to the table and he'll keep bums on seats. But yeah, I think Ben's doing it the right way because I don't want the promoter garnering more attention than the fighters. To be honest, it's Sky for God's sake. Like, we, we don't need a, a global promoter on Sky. We just need someone who tells us when the fights are happening, who's fighting who, 
and then they can explain why the fights are good, why they're garbage. Simple. And it's worked. Unless, you know, and let's just, let's, let's, I don't want to talk about this, but let's talk about Adam Smith. There will be people online, in the media, who will dig Adam Smith out and will probably rejoice in, you know, his, his turmoil. We'll call it turmoil. You know, there are all sorts of rumors about, you know, the gambling addiction's got too much and so on and so forth. I like the fact that he's just taken a leave of absence. That makes me happy because we shouldn't be getting rid of people who are struggling. In fact, we should be helping them. How many footballers have you heard like, yeah, he's got an Achilles problem, so he's going to be out for about three months. And you're like, I don't remember him hurting his Achilles. Or the one that he normally used to use was either hamstring or groin. And you'd be out for two months. And a lot of those guys are going to dry out. They're going to rehab. They're going to therapy. Because they needed a break. We never made fun of them. You know the names. You know the clubs they played for. So, whatever you think of Adam Smith. Those are big shoes to fill at Sky. He's anchored that. Guys like Ian Dark, Nick Halling have been and gone. Glenn McCrory, been and gone. So many people have been and gone. They may be your mates. They may be your favorites, whatever. That guy survived everybody. And now he's seen it as an opportunity to take a break, reset, get his life together, maybe sort out his finances. I don't know what the situation is, but I wish Adam Smith all the best for this very simple reason. I used to be part of the... The, oh, he's just been, he's this, he's that. But I saw him, I, I did a couple of charity shows that he was the commentator for. And he was the same Adam Smith there as he was on Sky. And I thought, this guy's really passionate. He cares about this sort of thing. Talked to everybody, was so friendly, nice guy. Now I just realized, yeah, you know, he's not bad. And I know people say he did this person wrong. He did that person wrong. He didn't execute on certain things. It happens for God's sake. Sometimes you can't do what you say you're going to do. And you don't even get the opportunity to communicate it. But overall, is he a bad guy? I don't know. What I do know is anyone that's dealing with those personal problems, those demons, at least give them the opportunity to heal. Then we can give them a kicking again, but hopefully in the right way, in a humorous way. In fact, I'd like... On his return, I'd just like to see the fans give him a round of applause. As a mark of respect, that's the guy that's done this thing for nearly 30 years. He knows the edifice of Sky and the boxing side. He, he is Sky Sports Boxing. And we should respect that. So I wish Adam Smith all the best because when a man's struggling, it's not the time to give him a hard time. We've all struggled. We've all struggled. We've all had to face certain demons. We've all found ourselves in over our heads. And in those moments, you remember who was for you and who wasn't. And in this moment, I want to be for Adam Smith because I think it's the right thing to do for anybody. So let's wish him all the best. And when, we, when he comes back on TV, hopefully refreshed and everything's settled and normal, and we can give him crap again for for wheeling out people's national records of achievement and how many GCSEs they've got. But for now, I'm just going to wish him all the best. I just want to switch gears because I know I give her a hard time and I really do. But that Dillian White versus Jermaine Franklin card isn't bad. And I say isn't bad relative to what we've had in 2022. 
In terms of name brand recognition, good fight. Dillian's got to have a fight against Jermaine Franklin because he's got to feel his way back. We understand that. He's not going to go from Fury straight to Joshua. We wouldn't expect him to, right? So we've got that as a fight. So that's going to tell us where Dillian is, hopefully. And then you've got Fabio Wardy versus Nathan Gorman. And if you followed me for long enough, you know that I'm a fan of Fabio. I think as a, as a boxer, he does almost everything right. He's a great talker. He's interesting outside the ring. Stayed, lo- stayed local. That's a really important thing for me. He stayed local. I think he's an Ipswich Town fan. So that's his affiliation. And he, he, he works that into his identity as a boxer. Uh, good talker. Hits all of his marks. Sponsors get mentioned. Opponent gets respected. All of these things work. Fabio Wardley is someone who you want to be good. You want him to be good because A, he's entertaining, B, he's vulnerable, and C, he looks like he's a sponsor's dream. Now he goes head-to-head with Nathan Gorman for the British title. Look, I saw Nathan Gorman four years ago with this guy. I think it's Graham Everett. Four years ago. Over four years ago, in fact. And I saw him. And he was sparring. At the time, he sparred Derek, he sparred Tom Little, he sparred John Pilata. And they all had their way with him. Like they, they, were, they were tuning down what they were doing. You could see that they were, they were taking a lot of the, the power out. They were taking a lot of juice out of those shots. Because he was still learning. So to see how far Fabio Ward is coming four years, everyone should applaud that. That's what you call closing the gap. To be fighting someone like Nathan Gorman, who's been doing this since he was a kid. And in my eyes, to be the favourite. I think Fabio came in at, what, 240 pounds? That's like 17 stone something. Good weight for him. Nathan came in at, oh God, close to 20 stone. What, 19 and a half stone-ish? Why? That's when you know someone doesn't take the sport seriously. When you're coming in at 640, 6162, you're coming in at 271 pounds. You're coming in heavier than Joe Joyce. Heavier than Joshua. Heavier than Chisora. Heavier than Dillian. Have you earned the right to do that? No. Fabio comes in trim, 240 pounds. Trim, good fighting weight for him. He's mobile and he's quick at that weight. I don't, uh, you know, boxing's this rare opportunity. Gorman reminds me of, who was the kid at Man City? Was it Michael Johnson? Where he had all the promise in the world. Like he was Jude Bellingham before Jude Bellingham. And then he wasn't. And I looked at, I saw the terrible, absolutely shocking embarrassing like how can you how do you come in at that weight as a professional athlete I don't even understand it that's an NFL weight for God's sake but hopefully Fabio wins that British title I think that's just a great feather in his cap and credit to him for staying local and working with the same guys who've seen him through I know other people tried to interfere tried to you know pull him this way pull him that way Fabio stayed loyal and to be honest Dillian's also backed him 
and match him have backed him. So credit where credit's due on that one. One thing I want to ask is, where the hell's Yusuf Kamari? How's Yusuf Kamari not on this bill? You're having a bill in Wembley. Yusuf Kamari's from just down the road. People want to see him fight. He's entertaining. He's, he's, he's compelling. He's good. Like he's, he's like Fabio Wardy, but just in a shrunken version. He knows what to do to get over. Where is he? This, and this is what I mean about boxing shooting itself in the foot. Yes, I'm a Sandy Ryan fan, but no one in London wants to see Sandy Ryan over Yusuf Kamari. Simple as that. And I genuinely believe no one on the zone wants to see Sandy Ryan over Yusuf Kamari. And that's no shots fired. That's just the fact. No one wants to see Pat McCormack in London over Yusuf Kamari. No one wants to see Siobhan Clark in London over Yusuf Kamari. Yusuf Kamari should have been the third name on that list. Sandy, great fighter. Pat McCormack, hell of a fighter. Siobhan Clark, hell of a fighter. Mark Dickinson, in that same category. They're not Yusuf Kamari. They don't bring that local interest. They don't bring that overarching story that links the individual to the venue. But no, someone's got to do something with Yusuf because he's, he's too good a talent to waste. He's too entertaining a fighter to waste. Um, but let, let that not detract from the fact that that's a solid Saturday night fight night card from Eddie. You know, you tip your hat off to him and say, there's enough interest there. And if, if I wasn't upset about Yusuf not being on there, Sandy Ryan would be a big tick in the box. Pat McCormack is definitely a tick in the box. And if he can hold himself together, he will move fast up the rankings. Fast. Like, he's, he can't be more than a year, less than a year probably, of challenging a guy like an Echo Esselman. That, that's, that's kind of where he's at. But he's not getting any younger, so he's got to move quickly. Siobhan Clark, same thing. Got to move fast. Could you put him in with a Mikel Lowell at some point? Yeah. The gap's not that great between them. So Siobhan Clark can't be far off a British title fight. Would he be a good fight for Chris Billum smith They box in the amateurs, so I think that would be a pretty good fight. Dickinson, I think he was he Ben Davison trained, so yeah. Busy, yeah, definitely a busy couple of days for Ben then. And then we touch on the Frank card. So that's Zach Parker versus John Ryder. I can't see past John Ryder on this one, guys. I know people want to tell me how good Zach Parker is. Ryder has pedigree. That's the start and end of it. You can talk about who he's lost to, and so listen. Ryder has pedigree. In a better training environment, whatever you may think about it, whatever I may think about it, it's a better training environment. And he has pedigree. I mean, you've got Callum Smith, you've got Danny Jacobs, you've got Billy Joe Saunders on that list. You've you got pedigree on there. Zach Parker struggled with Daryl Williams, and I don't want to hear all this one-arm talk. He struggled regardless. And he doesn't have that same pedigree. And this is what happens when you try and navigate your guy to a world title shot and you take the soft way out and you do this and you do that. Ultimately, what happens is you meet a guy like John Ryder. Southpaw, strong, unafraid to box at 175, boxing at 168. He's comfortable. Boxed at middle, so the speed's not an issue. So at 34, him going up to 168 probably works better for his body. Love it. So I, 
if you're putting a bet on, if John Ryder's still two to one to win, put your money on that. Because I don't think, I just don't think Parker's going to stop him. And what happens with John Ryder is he just warms into a fight. And then the second half of the fight is just a whirlwind. He's like a Tasmanian devil. So I think that will be a good main event. I hope the main events don't clash, even though I'll probably be out. So I'll probably even get to watch those things tomorrow night. Damn. But now let's look at the undercard. Frank's doing something similar to Eddie. So you got like you got Sam Noakes, maybe the strongest little man in the world. Then you got Pierce O'Leary fighting there. Who I think while while he shines bright, there may be no one better. But I'm hoping that he can sustain that peak over the long term. I mean, O'Leary looks a bit injury prone, but I'd like I'd like to hope the best for him because I mean guy's entertaining as hell. Who else is on this card? Hamza Shiraz is on. I want to come back to him in a sec. Sunny Ali. Is it Sunny Liston Ali? And then Tommy Fletcher's on there. But what? Man. Where's the respect for Denzel Bentley? Denzel Bentley's just gone the distance with Janibek. Why are we talking about Hamza Shiraz fighting Denzel Bentley next? Like, where the hell is the respect? Where's the respect for Denzel? And look, I like what Hamza Shiraz is doing. I like the movement they're building. I like all of that stuff. On a side note, you know when you've been training back or maybe you've been benching, like I did did eight sets of eight pull-ups today. And my t-shirt feels like it's going to explode just at the back. I genuinely, like, I might have to call myself silverback after this, but no, I'm just saying that because the t-shirt feels super tight at the moment, which is always a nice feeling. But Hamza Shiraz, Really? Denzel Bentley? Off what win? Like, you, you have to have gone through something. Like, go and fight a line of Sadofia, fight a Brad Pauls, go and fight somebody. You fight someone that we can say, ah, <laughs> mate, you're, you're top tier. Do that, because I love the movement they've got. You know, they, they've invested in Hamza. They've backed him. All that stuff is fantastic, by the way. I like how he presents himself. I like how he conducts himself more often than not. The Bradley Skeet thing, you know, notwithstanding. But Denzel Bentley's delivered for Frank over the last two and a bit years. More so than anybody else. He's grown. Denzel Bentley's one of the 10 names in British boxing now that you look at and go, yeah. He doesn't need to fight domestic anymore. He can fight a Murata. He can fight a Rob Brandt. Shiraz can't. And we need to stop with this. We need to stop with this fantasy matchmaking. Like, yeah, it'd be a great fight between them. Why? What does a Shiraz fight do for Denzel? Let's say Denzel stops him in two rounds. And that's not impossible, by the way. But Denzel stops him in two rounds. All that effort, all that graft you put into Hamza Shiraz is gone. It's gone. For what? There ain't even a title on the line. I want to see Shiraz work his way through the guys that he should be beating. Because I think a guy like Brad Goldsmith, who, who won tonight, by the way, I think a guy like Brad Goldsmith gives him all kinds of trouble. I don't think he's there in terms of being able to just school a Brad Goldsmith. So have some respect. Like we need to have some respect. I'm not sold on this. 
I want to hear people talking about Denzel fighting these guys at Morata now. Just have enough respect for him to say, mate, at domestic level, you've delivered over the last two and a half years. We can't keep dragging you back down here to fight these guys like Danny Dignam and whatnot. It don't work for you. I mean, you tasted that good money with Janibek. Can't have you just on, on little pounds and pennies now. You deserve better than that. Because you've never, you've never looked for an easy way out. So I was a bit disappointed where the energy was in terms of that. Just let Hamza Shiraz be Hamza Shiraz and let him fight somebody. Stop talking about Denzel. Oh, it gets clicks. It gets view. Fuck off. Yeah? Just fuck off. Stop with the bullshit. Stop with the cheap clickbaity bullshit. And it's not just BT Sport. It's IFL. It's everywhere. Just stop with it. If you have to use clickbait and all this stuff, what that's telling you is that the real fights in, they ain't happening. And your job is to say, why aren't they happening? Why isn't Hamza going to fight Linus next? Get through that. Let's see where you, let's see where you land. Fight. Honestly, fight Linus. Fight Danny Dignam. Then go, look, I just beat these two guys, man. I think Denzel's next. Cool. I'm not going to argue with that. But he hasn't earned the right to call out Denzel. <laughs> No one in this country has right now. I hear people talking about Liam Williams. <laughs> no. No. Don't try and make an argument. Don't tweet me no nonsense about why Liam Williams deserves a fight with Denzel. No. Let Liam fight Hamza Shiraz. Win against Denzel. Domestic scene right now, Denzel, by right, should be eyeing up the winner of Eubank versus Smith. Let him get that check. Then get the Muratas, the Rob Brands. And then go for those bolts again. But Jesus, <laughs> a lot of people need to stop with the fantasy matchmaking. Right, should we talk about Sunday's card? Sunday afternoon boxing, lovely to have a bit of a bit of matinee action on a Sunday. And Sky have really <laughs> Sky have really unloaded the books on Sunday, haven't they? Like they've got all of their prospects out. And there's a lot of deadwood in there. I'm not gonna lie. There's there's a lot of deadwood. And what I mean by that, the guys there who no matter how many four rounders you give them, they're just never gonna elevate. They're not in environments where they can elevate, they're not around people where they can elevate. So they're wasting their time. And I wish Sky would just... Whatever it costs to get out those damn contracts, because they've got a lot of trash on their books. It's not right to name names, but there's a lot of trash on the books. There's also a lot of quality. And Adamism is that quality. Now, I think people are going overboard right now. It's, he's got that Lewis Ritzen energy, hasn't he? Remember when Lewis Ritson was just rolling over people and he was the, the Geordie Golovkin and he was just knocking people out like Sean Masher Dodd and you're like, oh. And he, didn't he win the, like he won the British outright in like in a calendar year. It was like a record, wasn't it? And then as soon as he met someone that could jab with a chin and a bit of ring smart, everything came unraveling quick. And it will always happen. If you look at it traditionally, Britain hasn't been good 
from probably from lightweight to welterweight, just historically. I know people talk about Kevin Mitchell and Crawler and stuff. Manufactured. They were like world British champions. I mean, Linares handled both of them. I mean, he handled both of them, handled Crawler twice. Luke Campbell got handled too. We've never been strong at 135. 140, we had Hatton for a bit, and we had Josh Taylor. I know people talk about Ricky Burns, but Ricky Burns hit Raimondo Beltran and all unraveled. And people can say, ah, Ricky, well, he didn't win. He had his jaw broken, and we know who really won that fight. So Ricky Burns wasn't the guy either. Josh Taylor was the real deal. Ricky was the real deal. They were guys who could fight at world level consistently. So we've never been strong in that division. And I, and I can't explain why. I can tell you going forward why we won't be strong because I don't think it's going to be an Olympic weight. So who the hell is going to want to be a light welterweight? And as they keep moving the Olympic weight classes, then the amateur game has to follow. And you get these problems of not enough weight classes for you to, to have enough competition that when you turn pro, you can find a weight that's close to match to where you box as an amateur. So we struggle with that all the way up to welterweight. Like we've never been strong. We get stronger at things that like middle and middle and up, but generally we've never really been strong. Definitely not for a generation. So what that means for Adam Azim is you're not necessarily going to find the challenges you need here to grow. You might have to start fighting some of these Mexicans or these American guys. You might have to persuade a Tevin Farmer to come up to 140 to fight you. You might have to persuade someone like Robert Easter Jr. to come over to give you that test. But actually, the Zim brothers are fucking talented, though. They are really, really talented, and you can't question that part of it. But that's not what pro boxing is about. What shots can they take? What adjustments can they make? That's what we need to find out. I don't think Ryland Charlton's the guy to do that. As much as I may like his kind of Cinderella Man story, he's not the guy to do that, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know who, who would be the guy to do that. You might have to start, you know, sort of warming up guys like Kay Prosper. But even is he at that level? I don't know. Or Sam Amazon, is he at that level? How long until we see Dalton Smith versus... Adam Azim and I, I'm going to say this right now I don't want to hear they're going down two different paths I do not want to hear that there aren't enough fights between them like there isn't enough of a gap for someone to be telling me oh they can't fight each other yet year and a half from now that fight needs to happen I know the sky boss listen a year and a half from now that fight needs to happen it's a fact yeah we're tired of people having to go different ways and then the fights never happen. Then it's too late. Nah, whatever. But I do think he's, he's pretty damn good. Uh, who else am I looking forward to seeing on that card? Always Jamie Shakiva. I'm looking to see where the evolution is. You know, I'm probably his worst critic, but you know, he's a friend and I demand a lot from him because he's capable of so, so much. One of the hard parts about boxing is you can't share the videos that you've got of what he's done to people that your favorite promoters are talking up. 
Like I've seen Jamie Shakiva. <laughs> I've seen him doing ballet in the ring with people. At 119, 120 kilos, he's just playing with them. And that's not even his natural style. Like his natural style is just this mauling bully of a man who will just break your spirits. And eventually you'll do a, a Marcus Brown and just take a knee and hope the referee takes sympathy on you. Also looking forward to seeing Sam Gilly. Uh, I remember him from the Goodwin days. So he's going to fight Sean Robinson, uh, West Londoner. I've seen him floating around sort of eating way before. But yeah, that, that'll be a good fight. Like that's, that's sort of small hall boxing taken to the TV screen. And I think that's good because it will let sort of like the general population know, gen pop, if, as people like to say nowadays, don't they? They let the gen pop know what the standard is at the top end of small hall shows, right? Well, these guys main event small hall shows. So I think that'll be good for the public to go, oh, okay, it's not so bad down there. The other fight, Lerone Richards versus... Zach Chelly. Now, like I said earlier, I don't understand why they signed Lerone. I wouldn't sign him to a one-fight deal. But I'm high on Zach. And in my head, I'm trying to think about ways Zach wins. And for me, the key thing with Zach is to remember what... Oh, who's the lad? Lennox Clark. That was it. When Lennox Clark just set about Lerone and didn't let him escape. Now, what Lerone likes to do is escape laterally. So when you start to throw those big hooks, which Zach can do, you start to think twice about moving laterally. My hope is Zach can draw Lerone into a slugfest and we get to see Lerone go, <laughs> I'm going to show you guys that I can really fight. Because if he doesn't do that, he's going to get buried. My next podcast, I will bury him and I will dare Ben Shalom to give him a three fight deal. If Lerone doesn't entertain, if Lerone doesn't understand that, yeah, the purest stuff is cool when you're fighting Canelo, not against Zach Chelly. You got to show us your levels above. I'm not necessarily sure Lerone is levels above. Like, I keep saying this and I sound like a broken record. I see a lot of Carl Froch and Zach Chelly. And I think if you... If you put Zach with McCracken, you would get Carl Froch. I think Zach Chelly's the kind of fighter McCracken would love. Hard as nails, fit as anything, does the work, has done since he was an amateur. And as wild as he looks, he can crack. And he'll grind you down. You never see him tired at the end. And I still can't believe Zach Chelly's 24. How the hell is he still 24? Jesus. He's done so much in the last decade. Him and Dubois, two kids that I really respect for being consistent over the last decade. Always in the gym. Always on the circuit. Always sparring. Always fighting. Doing everything they can to get better. So all the best for that. The rest of the guys... <sighs> <sighs> I saw there's a lot of TBAs on BoxRec earlier. So that tells you how important <laughs> that tells you how important a lot of these guys are. But I'm looking for a stoppage from Jamie Shakiva. He's got to make a statement because if Sky put Steve Robinson versus Nick Campbell, which I think will come, I'd then like to see Jamie fight the winner of that and then fight Fraser Clark. Stop keeping Fraser away from people who want to fight him. 
all good people, but boxing, as you guys keep saying to me, is a business. And what's best for business is that all these sky heavyweights fight each other. I'm trying to think what else has happened in, in the world of boxing. Uh, Harlem Eubank won. Yay. Um, decision Tom Farrell. <laughs> uh, that almost feels like a defeat. Who else won? Liam Williams won. Stopped the guy in the second. Uh, whatever. Um, talked about Liam Williams earlier. But what I'm excited by tomorrow is the American car. So Progre comes back against the Pader. And then we get to see Jalilov again. So he's the Olympic champion. The the Uzbek monster. The guy who should be striking fear into everyone. Because we're well, a six foot seven Southpaw. Who seems a bit more competent than Audie Harrison. So... Like Saturday's just stacked, and if you're a boxing fan, Saturday's your night. You just take it all in and enjoy it for me. But you know, and that's why I've been kind of. Think, you guys tell me, tweet me this. Have I been more positive about boxing cards today than I generally am? Because I think Eddie's card's good. I think Frank's card's solid, if not spectacular. I think the Sky card is okay. And I think if you add in the card, I think they're boxing and Carson, aren't they? Um, the the pro grade card. That's a good weekend for boxing. Uh, yeah, I, I stand on that. That's a good weekend for boxing. But what I probably want to switch to now is just kind of being a bit more self-indulgent and sort of talking about some of the stuff that I've been up to in terms of boxing. Look, so as most of, most of you guys know, last week I did, I did the commentary of the Hobson show at the Magna Centre in Rotherham, which... Was a homecoming of sorts for me because I remember we used to have our university sports dinners and whatnot at the Magna Center. And to be honest, they could go off at any time as well because generally we didn't like each other. But it was always a good place to have a few drinks and, you know, be students and, you know, find dark corners to do whatever, right? But there was one time they had the, the Sheffield Uni and the Hallam lot together. For like a varsity awards do. <laughs> and it properly kicked off. Uh, I may have instigated. I may not have instigated. The historical record is unclear. But what I will say is. I'm still undefeated in the Magna Center. I take pride in that. So me and me and Adam Adam Heppel. Man we've we got the. You know, I mean we've probably got the same record in the Magna. But so, so Den, Den asked me to do the commentary. I didn't know what I was going to do. Like the Leicester one was intense, as I think I said in the previous episode, because I literally did everything that night. I may as well have just held a camera too. But it was lovely. Loved it. It was a chance to see some faces that I hadn't seen since the amateurs and to see some real talent, like I said. I think I said then at the time, Stannard, Goldsmith and Bethel. If Carl Greaves manages those guys properly, they'll be they'll be TV fighters pretty soon. They're special. Special might be a bit strong, but they're damn good. Jeez, they're damn good. So there's little on me, yeah. And as you know, anytime I go up north, trains never work. But I get there. And the highlight of my weekend, hand on heart, I finally got to meet Danny Watley. So two things. Motherfucker's bigger than I thought he was. <laughs> Jesus. So all you guys that are tweeting Danny Watley disrespectfully or being cheeky with him, just know if he was in front of you wearing his Rocky hoodie, you might not be safe. 
if you're being disrespectful to him. But the second thing, and this is the most important thing, Danny Watley's a lovely man. Fuck me, he's a lovely man. Good man, heart of gold, gentle guy, nice guy. Um, I think we had two and a half, three hours together. Got to just sit down, coffee, just talk. Smart dude, knows his boxing, smart about life as well. Really, really good guy, man. Like, And it made me think, why don't I do that more often? Just post up somewhere and just meet people for a drink or coffee, whatever. Because the most important thing that a podcast should do is it should connect people. So you guys build friendships and connections independently of me. I don't need to know who's friends with who. I just want to know that it's happening. So when, when, when I got to spend that time with Danny, I was like, yeah, top guy. So if you are in the South Yorkshire region, feel free to meet Danny for a coffee, man. If you're a good dude and he's definitely a good dude, have a coffee, talk boxing, build those links. Like I definitely 100% vouch for the guy. That's what I can say. He's a good guy. Yeah, we've just got to talk about everything, man. I've really enjoyed that. I left that meeting. I was, I was properly energized. And then I ended up watching the Rugby League final. So they had a World Cup final. And it was Australia versus Samoa. I saw Samoa getting smoked. Then they came back towards the end. And then Australia asserted their dominance. But, you know, when I got up north, I realized I used to love playing Rugby League. Like, what? What a damn good game. Might be the better version of rugby. Definitely the more marketable and accessible version of rugby than Rugby Union. But we know who controls Rugby Union. Oh, yeah, Tarquin. <laughs> ruggers, ruggers. The only code that matters is union. Oh. I didn't realize how, how aggressively union went up north and made sure that the grammar schools and the private schools all taught union and not league. So it's actually really hard to, to build a, a league community because like Bradford Grammar School, Stockport Grammar School, Queggs down in Wakefield, uh, Sedba, Stonyhurst College, all those sorts of places are all rugby union schools. So if they played rugby league, league would be unstoppable as a sport in this country. So what you guys want to know is what was the commentary like? Well, fashion choices, man. <laughs> Listen, that shirt was fly, right? It looked good in the mirror. I think it looked good under the lights. I may get a hard time for it, but hey, my tip got to embrace that inner fashionista in you. Sometimes you just got to wear what you got to wear. And I had to wear what I had to wear. And I feel those who pay their money for Fight Zone, just based on that shirt, you got your money's worth for the month. You know what I mean? Thank me later. But my role was really different this time. So when I did the Leicester show, it was play-by-play and it was ad insight as well on top of that. This time I just had to add insight. So Dom McGuinness, who's fantastic, by the way, like, I learned so much watching Don McGuinness do his thing. Learned loads about which bits to give the audience, which bits not to give the audience. You know, when to broaden out the discussion. I thought, yeah, like, he, he's a pro. You know, I do it, but he's a pro. And I, that's when you realize, God, there are levels to this. So it was, it was Don McGuinness, Hannah Rankin, and I. And Hannah's good as well. She, I, 
I thought she'd just come in as like a like an ex-fighter and give a fighter's opinion, but she's a damn good commentatress. Is a commentatress or commentator herself? I really, really rated her performance and you know, she knew when to bring me in. She knew how to manage the discussions with me. Oh, it was just really, it was really smooth. And so all I had to do was slot in and sort of give my my ringside perspective on, you know, what would I do in the corner or in this situation? What what do we want to see happen next and so forth? That's the bit I really enjoyed, actually, is giving that kind of, that layer, that layer beneath the layer to say, guys, look, at home, this is what you're seeing. This is hopefully what you're going to see in the next round. Here, where the strengths are, here the weaknesses are. Going forward, when you get past the four rounders, there's certain things you can't carry with you and just being able to identify those. It also helped that it was a relatively short card. I think we did six fights that night, which was good. Um, what else happened on that night? Just brilliant. Like, I think that's the first time me and Porky Russ have been at a show together in ages. And to, you know, he, he definitely got his mileage out of those teeth that night. Man. He was grinning from ear to ear everywhere. But he was in good form. Russ was in good form. Dennis is always in good form. How... No big network got hold of Dennis's beyond me. He's the guy that can make most things happen in boxing. Because he genuinely loves the idea of big fights. He loves that. But he's not blind to the business side of things. That's what I like about Den. Den's still, he's still a boxing romantic at heart. So I'm always going to carry a bit of bias when I, when I talk about Hobson shows. Because Den's a friend, Porky's a friend. And then sort of everyone affiliated to that. We're all, we're all friends and we all get to have a, a good drink afterwards. You know, we'll have, have a few drinks at the Kettle Black, catch up, have a real good boxing chat, get to know each other. And I think, what, it's what, five, six years that I've kind of been like that with Den. And we're just building and building. And hopefully what that means is we're starting to formulate a real solid team where we can build something. You know, I'm going to shout out Grant Miller as well, who now owns the Daily Sport. Lovely man. Um, good laugh as well. And you never know, man. I, think I, might, I might say to Den, why not just whack this podcast on, on, on the Fight Zone app as an additional service? You know, I need some distribution too. But I think if you just broaden it out, that common thing, commentary, man, commentary is hard. Really is hard because... There are times in my head, I'm like, if people are watching this, they know this guy is no good. But how, how can I show respect to what they're seeing without hammering the guy? And it's not fair to name names. But there, there are things you'd see, you'd be like, ah, uh, yeah, probably don't want to be doing that. But yeah, I'm learning. Honestly, guys, I'm learning, you know. The cognac gets me talking like this, but I am learning. But I'll get good at it. Although I don't know what my role is. I think my best role is just that color commentary. I'll need a play-by-play guy next to me. Like a Dom, Dom's good because he knows how to tee those things up. And then, I mean, I'll knock it out of the park from there. I know that for sure. Because I love this game. Frustrates me, pisses me off, has me, I don't know, just screaming sometimes, but I love this game and I understand this game. It's taken me years, you know, 
we had the anniversary, the 11th anniversary of Mick's passing, Mick Carney. And every time I pause and I think, it's crazy that so many of Mick's pupils are in the far corners of boxing. We are everywhere. Yeah, the boxing product a lot of you guys get, like we're heavily involved in. Because he, he encouraged us to love this game. And I love this game. And if I get another opportunity to commentate, I'll take that with both hands as well. You know, I'll be better organized this time. I might have to do two nights up there because traveling up on the day kind of leaves you tired and a bit drained. But that's no, fantastic. I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for anything. You know, it's the best seat in the house when it comes to boxing. Best seat by far. You know, if, I'm, if I'm not going to corner someone, then at least I get to do that. Uh, in terms of fighters who stood out on the night, Conor Butler, class. I think he's trained by Derry Matthews. He's from Liverpool, class. The shots he was throwing, his moves, thought he was class. Can definitely box at a higher level, but probably needs to dedicate himself to it. Looked a bit fleshy at the weight, so probably needs to just dedicate himself to it. But I think he's got a day job, so it's understandable. Uh, who else impressed? Kirsty Babington impressed. In fact, both ladies in the main event impressed. So Kirsty Babington, you know what you're going to get. Bull in the china shop, brute force, you know, sheer force of will. Wills are over. And one of the things I clocked with her is between rounds, like she's almost screaming at herself. Like she, she gets into this real euphoric state. And I don't think you could do that if it was three minute rounds. In three minute rounds, I don't know if <laughs> she'd be a lot more tired. But she's able to do that. And the, the young lady she fought, uh, Mains. I think it was her surname, Mains, a German lady. She looked good as well. Just styles make fights, and she didn't have an answer to that style. But if she dropped down to 140, she'd be competitive. You know? So, I, yeah, good card. Connor Butler looked good. Um, you know, I mean, a couple of kids, they're Connor Daubney, you know, really brought that old school kind of Sheffield style, loads of head movement, loads of foot movement. But not enough of a data sample to see uh, who John Hayden boxed. So, interestingly, got to see Dave Allen in the corner. Uh, I think Dave would be a good trainer. He'd be a better trainer than he was a boxer. That's for damn sure. Like, he, the things that he can see in the corner, the instructions he gives, pretty bang on. Pretty bang on. Now, if that's translating into the gym, then, whoo, yeah. I think Dave could be a better trainer than he was a boxer. So look out for Dave Allen as a potential trainer. Yeah, so <laughs> that weekend was pretty heavy. I think we wrapped up about four in the morning. Then you're just straight up and out anyway, right? But like I said, good to see Porky Russ in good form. He, he, he seems rejuvenated. Like There was a time where Russ was like, why am I doing this? But uh, he seems rejuvenated. Um... And I say to people, just give the guy a break. Let him do his content, right? In the ecosystem we call boxing, Porky Russ is an important voice. So anyone that's harassing him or bothering, bothering him, just don't, man. The, guy, the guy's got a life outside of boxing. Let him live that life. Don't ruin that. Why do people do that? Oh, I don't like what you said about oh, Andre Ward. So I'm going to get all your sponsors to not sponsor you. Like, that's a guy that can't get girls. 
If you're behaving like that, you don't have a girlfriend. You've never had a girlfriend. You probably don't have friends. Because that's such toxic behavior that people would just smell that off you on a mile away. Jesus. But hey, you know, it's not my battle to fight. But generally speaking, I hope people just give the guy a break. Let him do what he does. He'll be held accountable by the people that he talks to and talks about. That's fine. Let's keep it moving. So Monday, we had the New Age reunion and the kind of ring talk slash Goodwin boxing reunion, which for me was nice. It was nice and nostalgic. Um, takes me back to those those years, man, where we were just there at the Goodwin shows. But as I've said on numerous occasions, like the world's moved on. You know, back in the day when we were kicking doors down and we were like, change this, move this. Some of the stuff I think we're able to move. Some of the stuff we couldn't move. We just made our peace with it. And we've kind of become, well, we're just drifting into middle age, aren't we? Me, me, Martin and Andy drifting into middle age now. And, you know, we need the young dudes to be kicking the new doors down. Like We're just like, hey, we're just going to give our take now as boring middle aged men. But it was lovely to see everybody. Martin, Andy, Josh, Steve, Kev, just everyone. Because, you know, people want to talk about, ah, you know, you lot seem to have fallen out. Nah, never. Never. What happens in the media happens in the media. But behind the scenes, there's always respect. I respect Steve's discipline around how he runs his shows. It may lead to outcomes I don't sign up to, but I still respect that discipline because he's putting the money up. Respect Kev's knowledge and insight. Respect Josh's knowledge and insight. Like, he knows a lot about the game. You know, got a lot of respect for those guys, a lot of love for those guys. Martin and Andy, you already know. Friends for life, man. Brotherhood, that's what that is. How it came, how it came about, I don't even know, don't even understand. I'm not trying to. I accept it and I smile with it. Now, I remember, I remember thinking this. I was like, if we'd had hybrid working when I was buying my flat, I'd have probably lived closer to those guys. We'd have just hung out. and just done mad podcasts about everything. But, hey, hindsight's a wonderful thing. So we did the show. I think we did about two hours, two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes of content. Whew. Yeah, we covered a lot of things. It was good to see Cynical Martin back. You know, Flamethrower Martin. It was good to see Flamethrower Martin back. Um, long may it continue because... That might be the most dangerous force in boxing. Do not antagonize Martin Theobald. But it was good to have that back. Andy was on good form. Kev's in good form. Everyone was just in good form. And we can keep doing stuff like that. Probably not weekly, but we'll do it periodically. But where are the new guys coming through? Where? There's a lot of what I call troll content, you know, where you are actively trolling people and you think you're going to get views by trolling. I don't think it works that way. You've got to know when to stick it to someone and then you've also got to know when to, to give the audience... Because most people want middle-of-the-road content, stuff that they can listen to while they're walking, while they're driving. They don't always want to be angry. They don't always want to be shocked. They don't always want to be fearful. Sometimes they just want to relax and you've got to know how to manage the balance. And I think over the years we've got closer to getting that balance right. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
you know, never mind the fact I got home at like quarter past 11 at night. That's irrelevant. It was worth it. It was rare that I give up a, uh, a Monday night rugby night for anything. So that was that was definitely worth it. Uh, what else has been happening this week? Um, helping our friend with their boxing club. So they're preparing for a show on December 9th. Oh, man. Um, love it. Absolutely love it. There's nothing better than being there when people are learning the game. That that watching people develop from all ages, teenagers, just watching people develop. That's why I enjoyed it. <sighs> Maybe that's why I never went into the pro thing or I was never as enamored with the pro thing. I love watching people grow. Those personal relationships, having all those people build bonds together and respect and love and trust. Boxing's unique and special like that. You can trust a boxing person. Which makes the pro game even stranger because you can't trust anyone in that game. So, show's happening December 9th. Uh, hey, listen, anyone that wants to donate anything, like a, like a cool prize or something, hey, if you've got any spare bags anywhere, you know, heavy bags and stuff, feel free to let me know. But that sort of stuff, man, it's definitely full startup mode on there. But I know when I when I approach something and I'm passionate about it, we'll get it cracking. Do you know what I mean? We will get it cracking. We will make champions because everyone in that gym's willing. We just got to apply the structures and the disciplines, and we can create monsters. So now it's been it's been a busy few days. I'm not gonna lie, you know, on top of having to get other stuff done. So I'll probably miss a lot of the boxing because also the World Cup's on. So it's just managing everything at the moment. So hopefully you guys are all managing too. As I said before, reach out to someone. Don't, don't struggle on your own. You know, if you need to organize people to get together to, to have a few drinks and you're close to people geographically, try and do that. Build a community away from me. Because you don't always need me to be at the center of everything. But pull people together and then, I, listen, I can join in. But yeah, take the initiative. You know, help people be happy. Help people be better. Help people just relax and, and do what they do. That's what I want the legacy of this stuff to be. Not who I stuck it to or who I did anything to. I want it to be that. The fact that people are able to become friends and build bonds and stuff. And I know where that leads to people say, look, just do a live show now. Yeah, I understand that. But let's start doing that in the background. That will build the groundswell. God, on that point, let me shut down. Let me just shout out Dan Aziz as well, by the way. Because I can't mention Denzel or not Dan. So I spoke to Dan the other day. Uh, he's looking forward to the fielding fight. I think he beats Rocky Fielding. You know, I think like... In the 12 months Dan's been British champion, the, the leaps he's made as a boxer, whew. his desire to go and challenge himself, I, I'm not sure, so don't confirm this, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes and spars Baturbiev again ahead of the yard fight. That lets you know how respected Dan Aziz is. Because if I'm Baturbiev, I'm like, I need to get hit that hard so I'm conditioned. And I'm ready. That's the sort of pressure I need. And just seeing, seeing Denzel, Dan, 
in fact, everyone, Umar Sadiq, seeing all of these guys flying as grown men now and, you know, fulfilling their potential and chasing their dreams, that puts a smile on my face. Because as much as it's boxing, as an older head, there's a real love for those guys. I love those guys like younger brothers. I really, really do, and I'd do anything for those guys. And I always remind them of this. Remember when we were on the outside looking in and all the stuff we said we would do, all the sacrifices we said we'd be willing to make. Let's never forget those. So when I sit in front of this microphone, I remember that. I used to watch podcasts and go, they're doing it wrong. I could do it better. That's why I'm here. The boxers were like, I'm not going to let people take advantage of me. Wherever I go in boxing, my people will come with me. Stay true to all of that. Uh, final bit of business. If anyone is in the kind of Romford-Dagenham area, JP's opening his cocktail bar. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that either. Fucking hell. Uh, yeah, so JP, yeah, he's opened his cocktail bar or Shisha Lounge. He's doing his thing. I think it's in Romford. If anyone's in the Romford area, you'll see it, right? Pop in there, have a, have a little juice, say hello to him, and he'll be doing his thing. And on that note, let me sign off and just actually get some sleep now because it's quite late. And who knows how much I've put away of this stuff. Saturday morning is going to be a heavy landing. So wish me luck, guys, and I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Mm -hmm.